Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is actually the fourth day of April 2021, which makes it Easter. So happy Easter. I wanted to get this episode in this afternoon because you know that I'm working on a video uh, podcast, which is going to include the beginning of aggregating all the material we've been discussing on aging, the immune system, the immune responses, and the constellation of diseases that lead to morbidity and mortality in humans. But I wanted to get a few more episodes in on caviola and in general lipid metabolism so that we can use that um, in more of a consolidated effort to describe the whole process of the pathophysiology of aging without having to go back and, and give micro lectures in between um, that uh, those two, two or three videos I'm going to be putting out. So here we go. So remember, it was been now quite a while, several days anyway, where I started to, uh, finishing up a discussion of these uh, structures called caviola. So I want to make sure that you know what they are before we continue on. Remember that these are, well, let me just back up. They're involved in bulk transport and signaling from plasma membranes. So they signal between the external matrix and the internal, primarily endomembranous system. And so you can, you can decipher from that that they're acting as lipid portals. And you have both endo and exocytosis that happen there through that portal. <clears throat> and you also get movement of membranous vesicles and indeed rafts, which can dock, unload cargo, reload new cargo, and then traffic in one direction or another, that is, outside the cell or into the cell. I told you about uh, genetic mutations in caviolar structural proteins and the fact that there are epigenetic modifications that are associated with transcription factor-mediated alterations in cytoplasmic and endoorganelloglycerolipid and sphingolipid pathways. And that some of these are linked to, first of all, dyslipidemia, which can be associated with obesity and uh, sometimes type 2 diabetes, but then uh, also more seriously, neurodegeneration, sarcopenia, which is muscle cell wasting, cardiovascular disease, and indeed a multiple forms of cancer. So I told you there were various caviolin proteins, and we were talking about that and the fact that some of these proteins associate with lipids, uh, particularly binding to anionic phospholipids like phospholserine and phospholinastol 4-phosphate, uh, as well as a 4-5-bisphosphate. And that you remember that phospholinositol is embedded in its own signaling phenomenon that normally is associated either with growth or sometimes with stress responses, and that includes calcium flux. And depending on what cell lineage, you can also then induce an immune response by triggering through that pathway. So right away, you can see that caviole in the membrane are going to be involved in some way as an interlocutor for the immune response. And we're going to get into that pretty quickly here today. And I just wanted to remind you, that was just a recap where we were. So a paper published in the journal Blood, I'll give you the full citation in the show notes, um, explains to us about the protein called caviolin-1 or CAV-1 
And we already know that it organizes membrane structure and therefore function, and that the caveolin itself is part of that scaffolding mechanism to generate the caveola itself, right? That membranous substructure within plasma membrane that are involved in all this trafficking. And so we're going to find CAV1 expressed in multiple cell types. I told you it's very predominant in adipose, very predominant in muscle tissue, including cardiac muscle. We also found out that it was in the central nervous system, particularly the blood-brain barrier, that is caviole. Um, and I also mentioned to you that they were that you find caviole in the membrane of certain immune cells, particularly lymphocytes, which we're going to get to in a moment. So that's kind of where we were. So in this paper uh, in blood, it tells us that an increased CAV1 expression in T cells after an allogeneic metapoietic cell transplantation, such as for treatment of lymphoma, that when you use donor T cells that are double knockout CAV1, you get a decrease in a very prominent autoimmune disorder that's generated. Actually, it's an acute graft versus host disease called GVHD, which can be lethal, in fact, in lymphoma patients. So if you get rid of CAV1, you knock it out, make a double knockout donor T-cell lineage, you get less of that disease and it's also less severe. And as it turns out, that's because you get an increase in the number of Tregs. So it, it, on the other side of that, if you deplete Tregs from the graft, um, this protective effect is basically lost, okay? So it's obviously linked to Tregs. So Treg frequencies increase when you have a CAV1 knockout. And that's also in response to um, the cells being exposed to very common inducing cytokines like TGF-beta and TGF-beta in association with the T-cell receptor CD28 activation phenomena. You can also find that this CAV1 uh, processing is associated with alloantigen stimulation, as you might guess, because of its, uh, it being having a knockout being related to a, a decrease in the disease, right? because the alloantigen stimulation is going to increase GBHD. Okay. So finally, what this paper found is that phosphorylation of CAV1 was not what was causing this um, enhancement of the uh, graft disease, because they used the point mutant, they found out it didn't have any effect if you couldn't phosphorylate that one tyrosine residue, tyrosine 14. Um, but they did find that there's a close proximity of a protein called lymphocyte-specific protein tyrosine kinase, which I've mentioned to you more on one occasion, also known as LCK. Um, and that association to the T-cell receptor upon TCR receptor activation, usually by an antigen-presenting cell, that that process of linking the LCK protein, which is a kinase, to the TCR receptor after induction stimulation activation, that all that gets turned down in the CAV1 double knockout. So it looks like less interaction, or that would be an actual physical clustering of the T-cell receptor with the LCK protein 
it's going to result in a suboptimal activation of signaling. And that's all going to correlate with preferential development of a Treg phenotype in the T lymphocyte lineages. So what they're saying is that less CAV1 will alter the distribution of the T cell receptor with the LCK protein, and that will allow for more of a Treg phenotype being generated, and that is good for transplant patients. Now, this can also tell us about in the native environment, right? It means that if you have CAV1 and T cells, they're going to be much more prone to cause TCR activation associated with that LCK kinase, and that's going to lead not just to Treg cells, but of course to a complete lineage of T cells that's going to include uh, the pro-inflammatory cytokine generating T cell lineage. So see how this is linking in now with this whole process of considering how if KVLI are plus or minus because of, say, the protein expression, or we find um, agonists to the regulation of KVLI uh, uh, occurrence, say, in the blood-brain barrier, and that may be something we want to um, pharmacologically alter because we want to alter the kinds of signaling that goes on through the BBB because the aging brain is more prone to T lymphocyte infiltration. And if they're triggered by microglia, like microglia acting there as angiopresenting cells, that you can get an inflammation in the brain and that can lead to neurodegeneration or on the other side, perhaps even an oncogenic event. We told you that, the valence of that system. Now we're telling you in the T cells themselves that if you aggregate T cell receptor with this LCK kinase, which is going to be afforded more readily by having a, uh, active structuring of the KVOLI in the T cell, that this can um, be a negative effect because it's going to cause, again, this activation of the T cells moving towards a pro-inflammatory lineage. I just described you now. So remember that CAV1 is synthesized and it oligomerizes in whatever cell that we're talking about, like the T lymphocyte here, in the endoplasmic reticulum. I told you previously that CAV1 oligomers are transported through the Golgi, and they, when they exit from there, that exit is stimulated by free cholesterol. And so it leads to a certain proportion of CAV1, depending on the level of cholesterol that's trafficked with it, to the plasma membrane. It's gonna be important here in a minute. Uh, it's important now for me just telling you about lipids are controlling the movement of the CAV protein, which is going to be the scaffolding protein to make the KVOLI, which is this lipid-rich environment in the membrane that is not intoxicated by excess free fatty acids as in association with dyslipidemic disorders, such as obesity being the um, the grand disease that can link up to all of those other diseases, some of which can cause tremendous morbidity and even mortality, particularly in compromised patients such as the very elderly. All right. Okay. So cholesterol then gives you a certain concentration of CAV1 to make it to the plasma membrane. CAV1 rich domains then associate with a protein called the EHD. And you also get the cavin proteins, right? Remember, those are different classes. You have caveolins, you have cavins. 
So you get EHD proteins, you get the cabin complex, and you also add those paxin proteins, all of which are used. So those proteins are part of the caviola dynamics, right? The molecular dynamics. So caviola at the plasma membrane will butt off to form an endocytic carrier, right? You'll, you'll generate an endocytosis phenomena, and that can fuse with the early endosome pathway, which of course can recycle back directly into the plasma membrane. But in response to a membrane uh, dysregulation, cavioli will flatten. So you get a pressing down of the cavioli when you get a membrane alteration, which can be caused by changes in pH or uh, for example, the induction of reactive oxygen species generation. Those are two known phenomena or any kind of physical stress to say a muscle cell. That process, that membrane tensioning uh, increase will release the cavins, those are the other class of proteins that are common in caviolite, directly to the cytoplasm. And the CAV1 oligomers will also make it now into bulk plasma membrane. And indeed, the CAV1 becomes endocytose because of that, now looking as if it's toxic. So the cytosog cavins are then degraded through the proteasoma complex, but they might interact with intercellular targets. When they do that, that will lead to a whole other new pathology, which I talked a little bit about uh, three episodes ago. Also, non-KVLR CAV1, that's KVLN1, will also be associated with the early endosome complex. It can be recruited into intraluminal vesicles, and if it's de vectorially delivered, it could be proteosomally degraded finally. Okay, so I wanted to give you the intracellular um, checkup there so you know what's going on in the cells that are actively synthesizing KVLA and what's involved in that whole process. Now, Another paper I want to bring your attention to, um, just as we're kind of blowing past this, which is generating a foundation on KVLA being significant in the aging process, right? Here's a paper that was published about, uh, well, Journal of Immunology was published summer of that year, 2017. Don't worry, I'll put it in the show notes. What does it tell us? Okay, I found this paper because I was looking at T-cell mediated responses where KVLA may play a role. The T-cell receptor stimulation, remember, is induced by a peptide MHC complex, major histocompatibility compatibility complex. And where do you find that? On angiopresenting cells, okay? For example, on dendritic cells. Now that requires, to, to stimulate the T-cell receptor with the peptide MHC from an APC, like a dendritic cell, all that requires precise, very, very careful reorganization of all of the proteins that are associated with that immunological synapse where the T cell signaling is happening with the antigen presenting cell. Now enter KVOLIN1. KVOLIN1, as we know, is very common transmembrane protein. We know it's very important for trafficking across the membrane. We also know that it's associated with membrane polarity. And indeed, because of those two phenomena, those two cellular phenomena, it's really significant for membrane uh, trans signal transduction pathways, right? So. The presence of CAV1 proteins in T cells has only been described for a few years. That last paper I told you was one of the first. And what this paper shows, the Journal of Immunology, is that when you do a CAV1 knockout, 
Now in a CD8 T lymphocyte lineage, you get a reduction in membrane cholesterol and sphingomyelin. Now we know that because we know the cholesterol traffics with CAV1. And I already told you, again, two, three episodes ago when we were talking about the lipids associated with KVOI, that CAV1 also associates with certain molecular species of sphingolipids, including sphingomyelin itself. So you get a reduction in membrane cholesterol and sphingomyelin when you knock out CAV1 and CD8 T lymphocytes. That's the story here. And upon TCR triggering, what happens is you get then a corruption in the T cell uh, differentiation. You get altered morphology, altered polarity, and you get a reduced effector function as compared if CAV1 is working direct, uh, correctly. That, this mimics this phenocopies that paper I just told you in blood, right? We're talking about the rejection phenomena in allografts and whatnot, right? Okay, so CAV1 apparently is essential to go down that lineage of getting T effector cell um, potency, right? Now we're talking about CD8 lineage. So in particular, this paper shows you get a redistribution of a protein called the beta-2 integrin. The one that the one beta-2 integrin they looked at was the LFA1, and that's supposed to show up in the immunolo immunological synapse. So you get a redistribution of that in CAV1 uh, knockouts. So it, it basically, the CAV1 knockout cell um, no longer can generate that LFA1 to produce a high affinity interaction with an extracellular protein associated with that matrix ICAM1. So what it shows is that CAV1 is really important for beta-2 integrin function and therefore activation in CDAT cell lineages. Right? So you lose that effector status if you don't have CAV1. So that's interesting, right? Because that means that this KVOI have multiple functions, which is no surprise. So KVO of the cell surface can also bud into the cell and they can carry certain extracellular proteins, right? One of them is the cholera toxin binding subunit, CTXB. And also the KVO at cell surface, when they bud, can also carry the virus SV40. So KVLA butt off to form this intercytic KVLA carrier, and it fuses with what's called the caviosome. This is all intracellular now, or with perhaps even an early endosome, which I was just describing to you. Or in fact, depending on the signaling phenomena and the enrichment of the cholesterol to sphingolipid ratios, that same um, endosomal system can fuse back into the plasma membrane. And then you'll get something called an endosomal intermediate, or it's kind of like a raft on the move, right? A lipid membrane raft on the move. So cells with or without KVOI, you always still have a main endocytic pathway. You know, that's the clathrin one. So the KVOLIN is an independent uh, trafficker of those proteins, CTXB and the virus SV40. And we know a lot about this because people have studied that transporting mechanism, determine what proteins are necessary, like such as dynamin and protein kinase C and CERC kinase, working through RAB5 to generate an endocytic caviolar carrier that can bind back into the endosomal compartment. And all of that then can lead back into the Golgi apparatus, right? So you have caviosomes, endosomes, Golgi apparatus, 
be, being trafficked with endocytic KVOLR carriers, which can carry toxic proteins like CTXB, the cholera toxin, uh, or indeed even uh, transforming viruses like SV40. So I wanted to bring that back into the fold to let you know that's more standard work that KVOLR are involved in. So you see where we're going with this. We're, I'm, I'm showing you the complete um, complex structure of what first looked like simply a membrane subdomain that was involved in trafficking and that was resistant to detergent effect of free fatty acid is associated with obesity, right? And that lipotoxicity is associated with it. That was like the first way that we encountered this. And we also know that it's really important, therefore, in cell surfaces that do a lot of trafficking of lipids. And those would be include things like myocytes, right? As well as the adipose. And then as we found out, the blood-brain barrier. And now we're looking at T lymphocytes. So as it turns out, a lot of cells are uh, invested in KVOLR structure function relationships. So um, that that's now kind of where we are. So diseases that are associated with KVOLR include atrial fibrillation uh, and lipodystrophy. Now lipodystrophy just means uh, an inappropriate layering of lipid in uh, vascular beds or in organ beds, which can cause disease, such as high levels of lipid in the liver, high levels of triglycerol or cholesterol or oxides in the cardiac muscle, right? This would be lipodystrophy, right? So redistribution of lipids where they're not supposed to be located, which should be primary visceral fat. And then of course, with muscles, when they are intracellular triglycerol, uh, and of course, as fatty acyl esters, when they're being used for fatty acid oxidation, to keep the heart pumping, right? Those are normal uh, utilizations of, of lipids for that, for bioenergetics, we're describing there. So um, if you get mutations in CAV1, you get increases in lipodystrophy, and you also get some problems with the heart, such as atrial fibrillation. You also get skeletal muscle disorders. Uh, so you get skeletal muscle disorders, you get cardiomyopathies. Basically, when you corrupt CAV1 by mutation of the protein, Okay, you also see the same kind of pathophysiology with certain mutations in CAV3. That's yet another KVOLN protein. So then cavins came on the scene. Remember, that's the other class of proteins in KVOLN, common ones, right? Besides Paxson, the other ones I mentioned. Uh, and these are also apparently linked with disease association. So cavin 1 is also linked to lipodystrophy, muscular dystrophy, cardiomyopathy, and cavin 4 is also associated with cardiovascular disease, right? So cavins and caveolins are also, as I've mentioned in previous lectures, and I've emphasized it more recently, strongly linked to cancer, uh, particularly those cancers that can lead to high levels of morbidity and mortality in the elderly. Some studies show the loss of caveoli in tumor cells and an inhibition of tumor growth by CAV1 expression. But cavins are generally linked to tumor suppression as well. And cavin 3 expression lost in breast and lung tumors, and expression of cavin 1 and cavin 2 re are reduced in breast cancer. So you see it's the, the association of these proteins isn't always linked, first of all, to the construction of the KVOLA, 
nor is it always linear in one direction, teleological direction of causing diseases, even ones that we think are linked to uh, excessive amounts of these proteins, sometimes lacking these proteins will be more dangerous or deleterious. So it's always a rheostat, it's always a continuum of the expression of these proteins related now to the super higher level hyperdynamics of KVLA in um, progressing towards uh, trafficking and then this whole process of linking proteins within the membrane. So they function in the membrane to signal stimulation. And we just talked about the T cell receptor as being a component of that. Okay. So CAV1, the, the caviolin one does have tumor promoting role in cancers, including prostate cancer, right? So CAV1 can be expressed without cavin 1 in that system. That might be why you're getting cancer there because you have an imbalance of the caviolins to the cavins. So you see, so it's another dynamic. It's a relational category rather than simply a quantitative or quality category associated with a pathophysiology, right? So those are also things to keep in mind. See, I'm trying to give you the full floor detail here so that you don't lose track of why we're discussing this, um, this system. It's really important for you to get the idea that nothing in biochemistry, when it's truly authentic, is simple and easily explained by a statement such as high levels of triacylglycerol in the blood will cause dyslipidemia, okay? Or high levels of LDL cholesterol in the blood will cause cardiovascular disease. These are grossly overstated statements. These are grossly underrepresented as true factors when you look at the scientific literature, okay? Yet, you see this stuff published all the time. So, well, I'm trying to be authentic here. I'm not trying to say there isn't a, a correlation with the oxysterol and cardiovascular disease. There is, but simply saying that LDL cholesterol is the linkage, uh, it's so simple it is incorrect because there are multiple reasons why LDL is laden with cholesterol. One is to load off the cholesterol, the HDL, and the HDL traffics it back to the liver. But when the liver gets excessive amounts of cholesterol, that can also induce um, hepatosclerosis and other issues with a fatty deposit in the liver, which can lead all the way to hepatocellular carcinoma, right? So just simply talking about a, a one, one pathway or a couple of pathways, nothing is like that in biochemistry. Nothing is like that in physiology. Everything is interconnected and there is a continuum of activity and everything is in constant event flux not substance flux, right? This is all event ontology. As I've been saying now for years in my lectures, at least since the year 2000, probably before then, um, if I think back on it hard enough, okay? So there are numerous proteins that you find in these caveolin binding motifs or CBMs, and they associate with the caveoli via the caveolin protein scaffolding domain, which is, you know, which is the domain that has to be generated for the KVLA to be made. So uh, next time I'm going to tell you about uh, some of the proteins that are linked in that system, but I want to leave that for later because I'm already almost out of time and I want to make sure that um, 
we got, we can digest what I just gave you, okay? So there are a couple of really important take-home points here. One is that the complexity of KVLA doesn't mean that decreasing or increasing their concentration of plasma membrane is going to promote any kind of healthy aging. So anything that recommends that would be basically false. Uh, likewise, it doesn't mean that KVLA and the cavins versus the KVOLINs, the two main proteins in KVLA, don't have a constellation of effects in pathophysiology and also in normal physiology and normal health and in aging, because they do, and they do in very complex, discrete ways, which I'm trying to unfold for you and disambiguate. Okay. So this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry on Easter Sunday, the 4th of April, 2021, uh, telling you bye for now.